Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to really help you think about and kind of reflect on your remodeling business. Oftentimes, you are running so fast and furious, you're really not taking the time, I think, to become more masterful at the business itself as opposed to just do projects. So what I try to do is I take different topics, topics that are, you know, either interesting to me or ones that I'm seeing out in the marketplace with the many different remodelers I interface with and try to capsulize, try to put them in a nice, neat little bow for you so that you can be able to kind of reflect and think about your business. As you're bouncing around and driving from project to project, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series. There's no expense on your part to it. And then as a result of that, you'll get these on a regular basis as they come out, as opposed to being sent out to you directly. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I think is really uh, very timely, and that is we're in a new decade. We are in 2020. And to really talk about, I think, some tips for 2020, especially as you're thinking about the new year uh, early on as we're into it, is I've come up with 20 tips for 2020. Now, again, I want to thank those that support this podcast, those from NERI, National Association of the Remodeling Industry, which is really an opportunity, I think, for you to be part of a community and not out on an island by yourself, as well as my friends at Professional Remodeler, who really have really many of the insights that we help to really drive and and create this podcast series for, as well as the producers Surefire Local, a leading digital marketing group that's important, I think, to any organization. So let's dive into our topic today, 20 for 2020. So 20 ideas, 20 tips, 20 themes, 20 insights, 20 thoughts as it relates to the new bit, new year coming up. So the first one I always think about, and at the end of the previous year, I spent a lot of time, I think, encouraging businesses to ask themselves a lot of questions. And there's many different questions that you can ask yourself, but probably the root of more than anything is you really need to know your why. You know, why should I be doing what I'm doing? Why do I grow or why do I change? These are all why questions. And I think the more that you understand the why in your business, the more likely you're going to have clarity of the vision and direction and where it should go. I think how do you think about the question of how 2020 is going to be different than the past. You know, maybe it'll be the same, maybe it won't be the same. But what I'm hearing out there at least is that at least in the beginning part of the year, it's going to be a little different than in the end of 2020. We have historic elections coming up. We have a lot of things going on. The Harvard economist and and the Lira leading indication of remodeling activity out there is looking at potentially some softening. Uh, in Q3 and Q4. So this is a year that I think you can really make hay, but I think there might be some headwinds as well. 
The second tip is keep it simple. This business is difficult. It's complicated. Your clients are complicated. Projects, products, proliferation of ideas and pieces are becoming greater and greater. So it's really critical, I think, for you to try to keep it simple. Keep it simple in terms of the business of what you do. Keep it simple in terms of the client, how to communicate to the client. Keep it simple in terms of the processes and systems for your team so that they understand things. The more that you commit to simplifying rather than adding in more complication, the more successful you're going to be. The third is a theme that actually I heard uh, from a, a, a good friend that I think is just an important theme to really get the team rallied behind you, and that is think big, start small, act fast. Now, I created a whole little podcast segment or episode really wrapped around that. So I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail. But if you really think about it, what are those one or two big, big things that you want to do for 2020? Start small. Start with the baby steps. You can't eat an elephant in one bite. Start with the little bites. But don't procrastinate. Act fast. Act now. Number four is... In 2020, you shouldn't necessarily look at each month or each quarter equally. In my opinion, if in fact you've got a good pipeline coming into 2020, I would encourage you to increase your targets, your goals for Q1 and Q2 so that you're building a little bit even more of a backlog of what could become a little bit wiggly at the end of the year. And if, in fact, rather than 25% of what your forecasts are, you're at 28 or 30% in Q1 and 30% in Q2, and then you, you can still have the right pace going into three and four, but if, in fact, the headwind picks up, you're not going to fall short and not going to end up having a poor year because Q4 kind of imploded on you. So don't think about each quarter the same and act act and create a plan that's really different for each one. Number five is think about energy, not not just expense and investment. You know, my friend Tony Mancini at a recent conference said, you know, a big, big part of what they look at is return on energy, not just return on investment. In my business, we used to always talk about corporate energy. And the corporate energy was what really influenced, I think, uh, where we put our focus and and the amount of calories that were really spent on things. So as you're thinking about 2020, don't just look at expense. Don't just look at activities. Think about the right blend of the kind of energy you're putting into things as well. Number six, and it's a theme that I've certainly written a lot about and talk about, but I think it's especially important as we get into this new decade. And you really adopt kind of this theme, but also you're really focused on what those things are, and that is change or become irrelevant. Now, becoming irrelevant is certainly the one of the biggest insult any business or person could have. But what you need to do is say to yourself, what are those little adjustments? What are those little changes that I've got to commit to in 2020 to really help me improve my business? Number seven is just making sure that you're hitting your lead numbers. The marketing for 2020 is probably the most important aspect, in my opinion, and marketing is lead generation, because if, in fact, you have the right number of leads, 
then you're going to be able to not operate in scarcity, as I've certainly talked about in other podcasts. But what you're also going to do is so many other things that are less stressful will be better. You'll be able to control the business rather than it can control you. You won't be desperate if, in fact, you have the, no, the right number of leads that, that will help you. Number eight is knowing your numbers. And certainly knowing your numbers is good, but you know it's important to go deeper on knowing your numbers, especially as it relates to some of the particular marketing activities that you're doing. You know, you cannot assume, for example, just because you have enough leads that particular month, everything is working. It's going to be tweaking and adjusting and tweaking and adjusting in 2020. And that's where you have to have the right dashboard. That's where you have to have the right way to track some of the key numbers within your business. Number nine is don't become strangers with your clients. Now, this sounds a little bit like a you know, clever kind of wordsmith here, but it's really intended to be very strong and good advice. You know, those companies out there that are very successful, they really want to become uh, uh, relationships with the clients and not just transactions with as it relates to project. Think about the number of times with past clients that you've said you, you're going to keep in touch, but then time and certainly life gets in the way and then you don't necessarily do that. So I think going back and really looking at the lifetime value of your clients and look at the importance that you have on it, and I think you're going to see a better return. Number 10 on my list of 20 for 2020 is be grateful. You know, I oftentimes think about how grateful I am of being in this industry. I mean, this is an industry that you're creating joy in clients' lives, unlike a lot of other vocations. This is an industry that you can build and grow a business that has real lasting value. This is a business that you can get other professionals to come and work with you and for you when it comes to fulfilling, I think, their personal growth and interest. It's an excellent business to be in. And I think part of what you should do in 2020 is don't take that for granted and be grateful. Number 11 is focus on A players within your business. It's tough out there. The headwinds are tough. You need all A players. You need all-star players on your team. So look at the categories of the different players, the different departments within your organization, and really do some deep dive inventory. And where there's someone that's a little bit weaker, a C player or a B minus player, come up with a plan to move them forward or move them out. You know, this is a good time to bring in also some fresh uh, a players, if in fact you can find them. Number 12 on our list is be in the wave with technology. You know, what's interesting is I think, you know, we've talked about for many, many years, technology will revolutionize this industry. And now we're saying it has revolutionized it. However, some people are way ahead of the wave. And that wave is crashing down on them as it relates to the technology. Some people are behind kind of wishing that they were in it. But if you can find that balance in between when it comes to your technology decisions and your focus that's in the wave, not ahead of it, not behind it, but in the wave, I think you're going to be more successful. Number 13 is eliminate cancer. Now, there's a lot of cancer in businesses today. And for those that have experienced cancer, I certainly don't want to be flipping about it. But you need to think about the cancer as it relates to your team members, those negative people within your organization, 
those weak links, the cancerous weak systems and processes, also those clients that are not allowing you to do what you do well. You know, I would argue having that cancer in your business is your fault, not necessarily others. And once you own it and you can start to eliminate it, you're going to be more successful. Number 14 on our 20 to 20 journey here is training. It's important to think about training as an investment and not an expense. And when you start to think about it as an investment, you want a return on that investment. And with that return on investment, you want to see, for example, uh, not only people produce and get better at something, but also use the training to help you grow the business. It's essential that you look at all the different parts and pieces within your business and ask yourself, where's my existing training opportunities weak and where, where are they strong? Number 15 is focus on the gross profit, not just the gross sales. I think some companies are so focused on the top line that they, they see the bottom line or the gross profit side of the equation slip. Now, as I said earlier, not operating in scarcity certainly helps you to focus a little bit more on the better projects and the better clients. However, you know, think about all the ways that you'll see slippage when it comes to gross profit. And if in 2020, you can just move that up one point or two points higher, you're going to make more money on increasing the gross profit margin than necessarily on increasing the sale. And it's going to be less stressful, certainly for you as well. Number 16 is be more memorable. Now, again, this sounds kind of silly, but at the end of the day, as a fellow that's been involved in this business for a long time, and still, even to this day, have people kind of reaching out 20, 30, even 35 years later. You know, why do they do that? Well, I left an impression. We left an impression. You need to be memorable. And being memorable isn't necessarily just about the project. It's about the experience. It's about what the client experiences when they, they uh, have you on their, on their site. You know, I remember reading a letter from the client who actually said, more than any, done a nice kitchen renovation project. And she said, my, my, my dog, Charlie, is depressed. He's depressed of not having your guys around to share lunch with him. That was more important to her in many ways than the sticks and bricks of the project. And that's where the memories, I think, really, really came in. So it's important to be memorable. The next one, number 17, is remember the importance about culture. You know, I remember hearing the quote, culture eats strategy for lunch. I think sometimes in business, we focus so much on stat strategy and tactics that we don't necessarily focus enough on the culture. The culture is kind of like the glue that holds the parts and pieces together. The culture, quite frankly, is one reason that people are staying with you. You know, I read a little quote. It's kind of like Alka-Seltzer going into a glass and then you drinking it. You don't know it exactly what it looks like, feels like, but you know it, it's there and it does what it needs to do. Number 18 is think about the leadership gap. As businesses grow, there's a different requirement of leadership within the organization. And oftentimes the growth is driven by the CEO, the president, the owner of the company, that they're really the ones that are pushing hard for growth. What happens though, is you move from 2 million to 4 million to 7 million to 10 million in terms of gross revenues, there becomes a bigger, what I call the leadership gap, the gap between you, the leader, and the people in the individual departments below you. 
you need to make sure that that leadership gap doesn't become too great because what happens with a lot of businesses is that it's like you're pulling them forward rather than them pushing you forward. So what does that mean? You need to, number one, recognize the gap. You need to focus on either bringing in the right people in the right categories, or you need to focus on the development of the people that are a little bit weaker there. And by focusing on the leadership gap, it's going to continue to give you the momentum and continue to give you the fuel to uh, reach, I think, the levels that you want to reach in terms of the growth. Number 19 is be aggressive but realistic. Where I see a lot of companies fall short in 2020 is that they're either too aggressive or too conservative. You have to be aggressive but realistic in this marketplace. Aggressive means that you've got an edge. Aggressive means that you're going to push and work hard, and the team's going to do, do that as well. But realistic is going to take into account weather. It's going to take into account conditions. It's going to take into account the fact that we've got you know historic elections at the end of the year, and it might get a little bit strange on us. So I think if you take those two things into account, you could now communicate what is the right pace for our decisions. What's the right pace for our expectations? Because at the end of the day, just hitting and exceeding expectations, you're going to have a successful year. It's not necessarily you have to uh, make sure that you're uh, setting the right expectation if, in fact, you're going to be successful at it. And number 20, not certainly last but not least, but I would just say have fun. You know, one of the folks that I work with is, is always looking at ways to have more fun in the business. And they're very intentional about it. So I think if you can make that part of your 2020 kind of resolutions is we're going to have more fun in the business. The people are going to have more fun. The clients are going to have more fun. The product's going to have more fun. The, the strategic alliance and vendors, they're all going to have more fun in working. That's what, at the end of the day, is going to, I think, create, I think, not only the pride of what you do, but also it's going to help to create, I think, the momentum and fuel for the future. So I can imagine that some of these themes and some of these ideas kind of resonate for you. So I wouldn't necessarily say you've got to adopt all of them and maybe not even half of them, but do spend some time and send this recording out to the rest of your team and use, I think, this, these topics as a way to discuss and talk about, you know, what are your 20 for 2020? So again, stay tuned. We have a great thought leader segment coming up here. Uh, we're uh, always very uh, grateful and appreciative of those that support and subscribe to this podcast series, especially those at NARI, National Association of the Remodeling Industry, Professional Remodeler, as well as certainly uh, our friends at Surefire Local, who certainly produce this. Take care, everyone. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to 
spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Modeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help you with your business. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And in this segment of Remodeling Mastery, what I like to do is bring on an expert, a thought leader, someone that I think can share some insight about either holistically your business or an element within your business that will really help you take it to the next level. And uh, my guest today is someone that uh, I know through discussions, uh, discussions about her area of expertise, and she's just published a a wonderful book. Her name is uh, Sabrina Starling. Uh, Sabrina's book is called How to Hire the Best, uh, the Contractor's Ultimate Guide to Attracting Top-Performing Employees. And, you know, I think as many that listen to this podcast series, oftentimes I'm really speaking in a little bit more of a general fashion on things. But, you know, what I find to be interesting about uh, not only Sabrina and her commitment to kind of this path that she's on is that of all the different issues out there in the industry right now, I think probably one of the more challenging ones is, in fact, uh, hiring, retaining, uh, finding the right kind of talent in large part, the labor talent, but also other members within your business. So our hope is to have a little bit of a discussion with uh, Sabrina about this, and maybe there's a few insights and nuggets, and if not specific things, at least a broader kind of interest and perspective about kind of the, you know, the lay of the land and the dynamic that's out there. So Sabrina, welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Mark, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, uh, congratulations again on your book coming out. I think uh, it's certainly something that uh, uh, everyone should be prideful as an author, but also those that are out there. I've had a chance to certainly uh, read it. So, you know, I really encourage people to, to, you know, get a copy of this and we'll give you insights on it a little bit later. But, you know, before we get into kind of the the nitty-gritty about, uh, hiring and about, uh, you know, the, the labor dynamic out there. Let, let's talk for a few minutes just about you and how, what, what kind of prompted you to, uh, you know, to, to write this book or to head in this direction to try to crack the code on the, the labor or hiring process? So I'll tell you, Mark, I never really wanted to write this book. And, the, and I say that because when I set out to figure out how to help my own clients with their hiring challenges, I was really baffled because there just wasn't much out there to help small business owners with hiring. There are some really good books that are written more towards a corporate audience, but for, for most of us who are you know, small business owners, entrepreneurs, remodelers, contractors, we're, doing a, we're wearing a lot of hats and juggling multiple roles in our businesses. We don't have an HR department to help us recruit talent. And there was this, this big gap. And 
what was going on for me is I'm a psychologist by training. I was living in a rural area. I was working in mental health, and I was burnt out in my job. And I was looking for new ways to repurpose all that, you know, education. I have a doctorate in psychology, years of education. And I, I became a coach, essentially. And as I went into coaching, I had a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners seeking me out for help with work-life balance. And as I dug into it, I realized it's not an issue of work-life balance. These entrepreneurs aren't working their tails off because they want to. They're working their tails off because they don't really have the team members that they need to be able to delegate to. And at that time, I was in a rural area, and I wrote, I ended up writing the book, How to Hire the Best, The Rural um, Business Owner's Ultimate Guide to Attracting Top-Performing Employees. And as I wrote that, I thought out, business owners who had success in hiring A players into their team. And in a rural area in Wyoming, there, to just to give your, your listeners a sense of what it means to be in a rural area, there, there really are more antelopes than people. And for, for a business owner who has lots of opportunity to grow a business and not the team members needed to help grow, it's really painful to sit there and just, constantly turn down opportunity. I have a feeling a lot of your, your listeners may relate to this because that's the exact position that a lot of contractors and remodelers are in, is there's plenty of opportunity out there right now, but finding the team members and the people to do the work is really challenging. And so as I, I set out, I talked to business owners who had success who were effectively hiring A players into their team. When that first book came out, all of a sudden I started getting calls from people all over the country. They weren't just rural business owners. These were entrepreneurs and small business owners in New York, San Francisco, major metropolitan areas, and they were all saying the same thing to me. You know, I'm not in a rural area, but I have problems hiring. It made, can you help me? And, and I said, I don't know. I, you know, these strategies work in a rural area. I'm sure they would work in a major metropolitan area. Let's try and let's see. So we started experimenting, and sure enough, they do work. And in that, I noticed there was a group of business owners calling and reaching out more than most, and they were in the construction industry. And there's no surprise to me about that as I started digging in understanding what's happened in the construction industry in the last 10 or 15 years, it's kind of like um, all these forces have come together um, in a perfect storm to really impact the industry and, and the labor shortage that exists currently in this industry. You know, that's a good segue into, I think, the kind of a, a little bit more of a broad kind of question since you obviously study this and most of our live, listeners live it, they don't necessarily kind of see what the heck happened here. Because, you know, when they go back 10, 15 years versus today, you know, there was maybe a little bit of a challenge out there, you know, getting the right people in the right seats and, you know, having the right talent. But they certainly wouldn't be thinking of it like as a crisis or having that big of an impact on their business. You know, what, what, what happened that in, the, in the environment that they can at least have a little bit better perspective? 
Okay, so to offer your listeners a, a perspective of what's going on right now, and then I'll take it back to 10 or 15 years ago. So what's going on right now is we have the tightest labor market in the country um, in history, no matter what industry you're in. It's a tight labor market. And it has been that way now for an extended, an extended period of time. The construction industry is layered on top of that, and the, the forces that have happened in the construction industry are pretty unique. So when the recession hit in 2008, there was that forced a lot of businesses to have to close. So the in, when, when those businesses had to close, the industry lost a lot of workers. And, and even as, as things started picking up with the economy and more and more opportunity came back, the workers didn't come back. And that happened at the same time that we really started feeling the impact of a trend in the country of encouraging high school students to go to college, and that was kind of the be-all and end-all goal of high school then is to go to college even if college was not the best place for you. So there was a lot of um, moving away from trades education and even actively discouraging high school students in going into the trades. So all of that has come together to create this kind of hollowing out of a generation within the construction industry that normally would be there that would be part of the labor pool. And it's not and there. I, you know, I like, Sabrina, your, 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 even your word that these are series of forces. And what comes to my mind is, is kind of the, either the movie or the, the, the language, the perfect storm. You know, it's yeah. all these forces coming together. That's what created kind of what we had now, what we have now, because if it's just one of those, okay, we could have weathered the storm or moved on, but the fact that you've got all those forces in play, that's created, I think, this crisis, or at least what we think of as a crisis. I would call it a crisis. It is a severe labor shortage. And when you're when you are the business owner in the midst of this without that bigger perspective it's very easy to decide there must be something wrong with you that you can't hire good talent or it must be that you're just a small guy and you can't compete with the big guys and if you could just pay more then you would have a better chance of getting those those team members that you want to attract and that's not the case it's a it's a much bigger picture issue going on here. So let's let's kind of move it a step further and talk a little bit about, you know, okay, we, we, we kinda understand based on I think you, you articulated perfectly this kind of dynamic that exists today, but also I would at least argue how you go about approaching the problem hiring, retaining today versus say ten or twenty years ago. Uh, probably has changed as well. Would you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. So it, we can't just have a need for a team member and go run a job ad and expect that we're going to find somebody whose quality that we want to bring into our business. That, that doesn't work. And, and even if the labor shortage wasn't there, when it comes to attracting A players, we need to understand their psychology and how they behave and structure our hiring and recruiting process around that. 
So, Mark, I think it's going to be important for me to step back and define what an A player is. Absolutely. Um, so A players are those team members who are highly motivated. They're intrinsically motivated. Their motivation comes from within. You paying them a dollar more per hour than the competitor down the street is not going to motivate them. They just want to do a good job, and it comes from within. They are go-getters. They're problem solvers. So they will find solutions. Uh, you know, when, when they're stumped, they're not going to sit on the job site and say, you know what, I just need to sit here. I've I got to wait for the supervisor to come back because I don't know what to do. They're going to work with the problem and, and try to find the solution themselves. Those are the A players. And what we know about A players is that when they are in the right role that aligns with their talent and they have clearly defined performance expectations, they can actually be 900 to 1,200% more productive than wow. a, warm, a warm body team member. Absolutely. So that is an important piece to understand because when we structure our recruiting process to attract A players, we can actually run our businesses more efficiently with fewer team members, which is going to be critical for surviving a labor shortage and being able to grow your business in the midst of a labor shortage. Now, Sabrina, there's a lot of chatter out there and certainly especially with uh, the baby boomers about this generation millennials that you know that that you know are really different uh what they care about what they kind of eat for breakfast what they think about how they feel uh how you go about finding them all those things are really different but they what's interesting about that demographic is when you look at you know kind of the the cohorts of the the numbers uh, uh, in the different segments, it's a giant wave of them coming in. How can you comment at least without, you know, going into a lot of detail on this difference of the millennial versus, I think, the aging population? So I think what's interesting is when we structure our businesses to be attractive to millennials, we are actually also making the business a lot more attractive to other generations. And what I mean by that is that every one of us who are A players, who are intrinsically motivated, want to have a job that has a purpose, that has meaning. We don't want to be feeling like we're just hammering nails because We've got a certain number of, ham- of nails we need to hammer to get the job done. We want to know the story behind what we're doing and why it's meaningful and what impact that's having. And so creating our businesses to be highly profitable, great places to work, that is attractive to a team member, that, that gives a team member the opportunity to be a hero in a story that uh, of what the business is about and, and what the business stands for and what the business accomplishes that has a greater impact overall. That is very millennial uh, in terms of, you know, what would attract millennials, and it also speaks very well to the other generations. So you would, first and foremost, sounds like what you're saying is you got to make sure that the, the business itself is attractive, that it's almost a magnet for the talent, yeah. uh, not that you have these newfangled strategies that you throw out net to try to reel in or hooks or lures to try to reel in the talent. 
that right? That's exactly it. It is about positioning yourself as an employer of choice, positioning the business as a great place to work for the A players that you want to attract. So that means understanding who are these team members that I want to attract, what's important to them, and what's already going on in the business that we can amplify and magnify to get the attention of the A players that we want working for us. Now, let's talk a little bit about technology and how it kind of influenced this uh, hiring and communication and, you know, retaining, anything that relates to this. Uh, Obviously, you know, uh, everybody has kind of moved from, uh, you know, technology as a choice to technology as kind of a dependence. How has that kind of impacted uh, the recruiting and hiring process? I think in some ways it's created distance because when it comes down to it, we're recruiting people and people want to connect. And so if we use technology as tools to facilitate connection, then it will serve us well. But if we start using technology to put distance between us and reduce communication, it can actually create friction and reduce our effectiveness with hiring. So being aware, you know, first off, stepping back and defining who are those A players, what do they look like, who are we specifically trying to attract, so getting clear on the demographic and the psychographic profile, and then looking at how that profile natively uses technology and aligning the technology that we are using in the hiring and recruiting process to align with how they are using technology. That is a way of using technology as a tool to connect. You know, I think it's interesting. You talk about, you know, profiling and leveraging those tools. And I know that many, especially in the contracting world and remodeling world, actually don't necessarily use, you know, a lot of you know, pretty basic kind of profiling tools. And I know, you know, that was, I was fortunate in in my business to kind of learn about that, uh, a lot of that science 25 and 30 years ago. And we became, you know, kind of masterful at leveraging those profiling tools. Maybe you can touch on that because, you know, the, the risk of bringing on the wrong person, whether it's in terms of their competence as an A player but I would also argue the risk of a, if their DNA is wrong uh, is, is, is so much greater. And certainly one way to either mitigate or reduce that risk is leveraging profiling. Yeah. So as a psychologist, I, I want to speak to that we have to be very careful in the hiring process with how we use profiling and making sure that any of the assessments that we're using are, are normed for that purpose. because we need to be EEOC compliant. So what I actually teach is a very low-tech way of profiling, and um, we use a tool called PeopleMap, which is a basic four-quadrant personality um, profiling tool. And it just helps us to understand people's natural styles in the terms of four different personality types leader, people, free spirit, task. I mean, you can even hear from the descriptors 
pretty clear what these personality types are like. Cast types are very detail-oriented, want to just, you know, focus on working through a checklist. Um, leader types, visionary, big-picture thinkers, free spirits, are out-of-the-box problem solvers, don't like to be penned down. They don't want to be in an office. They want to be out in the truck, driving around, going to a different job site every day. People types love to connect and communicate. And so when we start thinking about the role that we're hiring for, we want to clarify what is the one result that we want most from the person in that role. If they can't get anything else done in a given day or a given week, what is that one result? And then we need to think about what personality strengths does someone need deliver that one result exceptionally well day in and day out. Then we start thinking through, okay, now we know what these personality strengths are. How do we start communicating that? And how do we use that when we're interviewing and we're screening applicants? How do we start looking for do they have these strengths? You don't want to use the people map or DISC or even Myers-Briggs early on in, the, in that part of the process because those aren't EEOC compliant. But just having the awareness yourself of these are the personality strengths that we're looking for, that can help you recognize if the person that you're interviewing actually possesses those personality strengths. Excellent. So uh, I do want to make sure, again, I highlight for those that want to reach out to you, they can certainly uh, uh, do so by uh, listening to your podcast. You have a podcast, Profit by Design, uh, but also your book again. I assume it's available through the normal channels, uh, How to Hire the Best, The Contractor's Ultimate Guide to Attracting Top Performing Employees. But just to summarize, do you have any kind of final, you know, little nuggets or little tips for, you know, our listeners to, you know, to, to be the best at, at this whole people process? Absolutely, I do. So I want to share that on our website, tapthepotential.com forward slash toolkit, I teach the shortcuts in the how to hire the best process. So if you have any of your listeners who don't have time to read a book right now and just want to get to the nitty-gritty, the tapthepotential.com forward slash toolkit has the, the tools around the hire, how to hire the best process that will get you started. And one of those tips that is really helpful is when it comes to hiring, the most important quality to hire for is never skill set. It's going to be goodness of fit with your immutable laws. And your immutable laws are core values that they're your way of doing life. And you as the business owner, your immutable laws really become the culture of the business. And when we have somebody on our team who may be highly productive, but they just rub us and other team members the wrong way, usually that's because they're not a good fit with our immutable laws. So if we get immutable laws right, skill sets can be trained, other, other things that you need this person to do, that can be trained, but focus on clarifying your immutable laws and then hiring around those. I think that's great advice. And, and again, Sabrina, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today on uh, Remodeling Mastery and also thank our supporters, Professional Remodeler Magazine, as well as NARI, the National Association of the Modeling Industry, and certainly our producers, 
Surefire Local, their leading digital marketing group. So uh, uh, again, thank you, Sabrina, and uh, wish you all the best and hope our uh, listeners have an opportunity to, you know, connect more deeply and and, uh, uh, be able to kind of take this element of the business to the next level. Thank you for having me, Mark. My pleasure. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.